am I. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. On the programme today, what do 37 kings and a budgerigar have to do with preparations for Christmas? Richard Littledale knows and he joins us shortly to explain. And Louise Whiteleg will be reporting on the impact of a day with a difference. But first, let's have some music. A few days ago, I was listening to singer, songwriter and worship leader Graham Kendrick talking about his childhood. He described how he and his siblings would wake up on Christmas morning and find a pillowcase of presents waiting for each of them. They were almost too excited to touch them, instead looking at the mysterious shapes and wondering what could be hidden inside. The season of Advent begins today, four weeks to prepare us for the great celebration of Christmas, and Graham is concerned that we might be content just to look at the vague outlines of the Christmas story, just like he did as a child, looking at the vague outlines of his Christmas presents. He says... If we don't reach beyond those vague outlines of the Christmas story, unless we stop and ask ourselves, what is really happening here? Then we will never experience the greatest love gift, which is God, taking human form and being born in a stable in Bethlehem, living and dying to open the way to everlasting life for everyone who will follow him. In Graham's own song, Thorns in the Straw, The story of this amazing love gift is told through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Since the day the angel came, it seemed that everything had changed. The only certain thing was the child that moved within, on the road that would not end, winding down to Bethlehem. So far away from home Just a blanket on the floor Of a vacant cattle store There the child was born She held him in her arms And as she laid him down to sleep She wondered, would it always So bitter, yet so sweet And did she see there In the straw by his head a thorn And did she smell mud In the air on that starry Seers tumbled down the centuries. A virgin shall conceive, God with us, Prince of Peace, Man of Sorrows, strangest name. Oh, Joseph, there it comes again. So bitter, yet so sweet. And is she see the And did she smell mud 
She watched him through the years Her joy was mingled with her tears And she'd feel it all again The glory and the shame And when the miracles began She wondered, who is this man? And where will this all end? Sun she loved was lifted high oh, With his dying breath She heard him say Father, forgive And to the criminal beside Today with me in paradise So bitter yet so sweet And did she see them In the straw by his head Kendrick from his album Rumours of Angels and Thorns in the Straw. Writer, broadcaster and recently retired Baptist minister Richard Littledale was a guest on this programme a few months ago when he made his first brief visit to the island. He very kindly gave me a copy of his book with the intriguing title 37 Kings and a Budgerigar, which I discovered is a book of reflections one for each day of the four weeks of Advent, inspired by nativity sets from around the world. Richard says, For many of us, putting out a crib set is one of our treasured Christmas traditions. But what do these scenes really tell us about the original nativity story? He says, Every one of these little sets, from the quirky to the beautiful, is like a pane in a complex window. The window looks in on the greatest moment of all time, and each pane sees it from a different angle. Of all the nativity sets I own, 
there is one which polarises opinion more than any other. It was made by German designer Oliver Farbel and consists of ten wooden blocks, about the size of children's wooden playbricks. The blocks are absolutely square-cut, have no colour, and each bears one word, as follows. Shepherd, sheep, ass, ox, Mary, Joseph, wise man, wise man, wise man. There is also a quarter-sized block labelled Jesus, which sits in a small wooden rack. When I first came across it, obtaining it proved to be quite a challenge. It was not available to order from this country, so a friend in Germany had to buy it there and post it to me. It was worth the effort, though. The people who love it do so because it is entirely unadorned. They love the fact that there is no colour and there are no faces nor character depicted by the artist. The people who hate it do so because it is entirely unadorned. They hate the fact that there is no colour and there are no faces nor character depicted by the artist. You see the problem. To some, the absence of face, colour, dress or ethnicity is inclusive because it allows themselves to imagine those things exactly as suits them best. To others, it is precisely the absence of colour and character which makes it exclusive, shutting them out from any engagement with the characters or the story. I am with the former group. Then again, I am one of those people who often prefers radio to television because the pictures are more vivid. The obligation to use my imagination engages more of me, which makes this nativity set one of my favourites. Of course, we are not at liberty to imagine the story just however we choose. Consider, for instance, the opening verses of Luke's nativity story. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Such a precise description leaves us little leeway for a whimsical imagining of a historical setting. We know what happened, where and when. However, it is in the details that our imaginations come into play, and this is where Farbel's nativity set works for me. What were the emotions playing out on Joseph's face, I wonder? Or surprise, or maybe a little fear at this terrible responsibility? And what of Mary? Was she as serene as artist would have us imagine, or did her face show that special combination of weariness and wonder, which is to be seen on the face of many a new mum? Farble's unadorned wooden blocks encourage such speculation in a healthy way, I believe. Let me read to you Luke's simple description of these momentous events in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pause and reflect for a moment. We know who was there, but try to picture their faces today. What would you have seen in them? Come to that, if you had been there as a shepherd or an onlooker. What might have been seen on your face? Let's pray. Dear God, I wonder what it was like to really be there. How must it have felt to actually gaze on the face of God become man? I shall never know. Instead, I must find you here, in amongst the tinsel and lists and Christmas specials of another cluttered advent. I hope you can see yourself reflected in my face here and now. Amen. Thank you, Richard Littledale, with the first Advent reflection from his book, 37 Kings and a Budgerigar. Richard will be back next week with another nativity set and another reflection to share. But if you'd like more, if you'd like to discover a different nativity set every day of December, I highly recommend Richard's book. You'll find 37 Kings and a Budgerigar on sale in Church's bookshop inside St Thomas's Church, just off the promenade near the Gaiety Theatre here in Douglas. And it's open from 11am to 5pm each day except Sunday. Louise Whiteleg is our local Christian Aid representative. And whenever we meet, she always has plenty to tell us. Lovely to see you, Judith. Thanks for having me. As always, there's lots going on. You might have noticed in the news that recently there's been this big event in Egypt. COP27? It's kind of slid by on the Isle of Man, hasn't it? Last year, COP26, we had lots of different events and things. So I didn't want to let it go on the island. So we organised a Christian stewardship morning, a bit of a conference looking at what climate stewardship looks like from a theological point of view for the island's Christians. What kind of response did you get to it, Louise? It was really interesting because we had over 50 people there when everybody walked in, you could tell that everybody was in different places. There was challenging conversations that were had. There was challenging words that are used, words that we don't like using. Because I think the thing about climate change and the climate crisis that we're in at the moment is we need to take good, hard look at ourselves. And of course, some people can do that and other people can't. But as Christians, we've got a duty and a responsibility to look after all of God's creation. So 
at the end of the morning, and it was a pretty intense morning, I felt everyone had gone out holding the heads up on a bit of a mission and hopeful, hopeful that we can work together to make change. It was an ecumenical event that we did. John Plant came over from Christian Aid to talk to us about the theological aspects of climate change. We had the lovely Father John Divine doing the opening and closing prayers. We had Liz Hull doing a reflection. I brought in some of the global aspects of the climate issues. We had Cheryl Cousins tell us about an exciting initiative, which you've got to look out for, but I'm not allowed to tell you any more until after Christmas. Do you know, one of the things I took away myself from the conference, recently there's been a lot of talk about loss and damage. And to be honest, it's not something that's previously hit my radar in that kind of language. I've always understood and done, and here's these big words that caused a bit of chaos, I've always understood and done quite a lot of reading around the white saviourism idea of charities. So that's when we in the global north look at the global south and say, oh, we want to do this, we think you should do this, and we impose our will rather than listening to what actually the global south want. So there's that concept of white saviourism but there's also anti-colonialism now being an island we should know all about that with the connections with the united kingdom so i think whilst being aware of these concepts we perhaps haven't thought about and i include myself in this as well we perhaps haven't thought about what that actually looks like because it's the people in the global south who are the ones that didn't benefit from our industrial revolution, but yet they're feeling the cost of it with the changing of the weather and the changing of the climate and the changing of the seasons. So it's that polluter pays principle for loss and damage that really I got a a better understanding of at the end of this conference. And the one thought I walked out with was, what am I willing to give up? We need to look at how we can live a full and meaningful life with a minimum impact on our global neighbours in the north and the south. And that isn't an easy thing to face up to. It's what I'm prepared to give up when I've been used to it. It's easier to embrace a simple lifestyle, a simpler lifestyle, when those things aren't on offer. But when you've had it and you're being asked to have less of it or not have it at all, much, much harder. Which is perhaps why we need to look towards the younger generation The generation I grew up in was all this advent of plastic. It used to be that you'd have a Tupperware cup with a lid that when you went for a walk, it'd leak orange juice into the bottom of the bag. But now you've got all these fantastic plastic things that don't leak and face cloths and baby wipes. And we've had the conversation about plastic soap bottles before and changing back to having bars of soap. They're all little tiny things. And, you know, one of the things that there was a lot of conversation about was what can we do, what can we really do to make a difference? There's a quote by Mother Teresa that talks about prayers being drops of water in the ocean, but it's that that makes the ocean up. And John Plant did a very, very challenging Bible study for us. One of the stories that he told us was the hummingbird and the elephant. There's a fire. The forest is on fire. And all the animals glaver around the lake. And the hummingbird is dipping the beak in the water and then going and then putting the water on the fire and zipping backwards and forwards. 
And the elephants are all stood round looking at this bird and saying, what on earth are you doing? Do you really think that tiny amount of water is going to put the fire out? Well, we're the elephants, aren't we? Because if we used our trunks to help extinguish a fire and all work together, then we can truly make a difference. Do you think sometimes we get overpowered and just feel defeated before we even start? We start off with the best of intentions and then watch something, read something, talk to somebody and you think, we're never going to be able to fix this. Do you think we do get a bit disheartened and overwhelmed? That's where the church plays a part because the church is a place of hope. We are one of the only organisations, regardless of which denomination you are, we're one of the only organisations that have on-the-ground connections all over the world. We can tell their stories. We can give people in the Global South a voice. We can keep it real. We can keep those connections. We can see them as our global brothers and sisters but also members of our church. They're our extended family. So one of the challenges was how do we bring those voices from the Global South into the churches on the Isle of Man? And I think by having those conversations, it keeps you buoyed up because you need to keep it real. You need to keep an eye on what's happening everywhere. We know things are changing. I've been quite frightened this last week by the horrendous weather we've been having. It is frightening. All these almost monsoonal type rains flooding all the roads and the fields. We need to change. We have to act while we still can. And the point that you have been making for a long time, for for the years that we have been talking, is that it is the people with no carbon footprint who are suffering the most. Mm -hmm. And you learnt this at first hand when you went to Burundi and and you made friends of these people and you saw how they're suffering, even though they're not damaging the planet at all. In this recent economic climate that we've got at the moment, where everybody's looking at drawing in the purse strings, I am just really, really loving the thrift that's being encouraged, reusing, with remaking, with saving, and with being conscious of how much we're using. Because if we can reduce the amount of stuff that each individual person is using, if we can all do our tiny little bit, it's the hummingbird dropping the water on the fire. And every little bit makes a difference because the elephants will follow. Thank you, Louise Whiteleg, a Methodist local preacher and our Christian Aid representative on the island. And if you want to contact Louise, you can phone or text her on 474 275. 474 275.
thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. finish with a look at our packed notice board. You're warmly invited to the Advent Service of Light in the Cathedral in Peel this afternoon at half past three. This beautiful candlelit service will be sung by the Cathedral Choristers, but uniquely this year will be accompanied by a consort of vials. Crosby Methodist Church invites you to their Advent carol service tonight at half past six. A sequence of music and readings by candlelight, with the Balagheri Ladies Ensemble conducted by Gareth Moore with soloist Mandy Griffin. Also this evening, there'll be an Advent service at the Howe Methodist Chapel. As is the tradition at the Howe, the Meadowside Choir will lead the service, which will be a mix of songs and readings to celebrate the season of Advent. The service starts at half past six and there'll be refreshments afterwards. On Thursday, the 1st of December at half past six, there's a Churches Together in Onken Advent service at St Peter's Parish Church with a warm welcome for everyone. And also on Thursday evening, the Manx Children's Choir and Sheen and Millish present Choir, Carols and Cake in Castletown Methodist Church starting at half past seven. This is going to be a wonderful evening of festive music and cake. Admission is £3 for adults, no admission charge for children. The Friends of Oristdale Chapel invite you to their Christmas celebration this Friday, December the 2nd at half past six. 
Gordon Clegg is the chairman. Well-known Manx artist Michael Starkey is the speaker and Eric Kelly will provide the music. Traditional Manx entertainment will be followed by Supper by Candlelight. On now to next Saturday, the 3rd of December, and we start with details of a prayer morning in Balagheri Chapel in St Mark's. That's from half past eight to half past twelve. Pop in when you can and stay for as much or as little time as you wish. It's a time to pray, to listen, to reflect and to share fellowship over coffee and bacon baps. Also on Saturday the 3rd, Sandy Gate Chapel invites you to their Christmas Tree Festival. It's open from 10am until 2pm. Next Saturday, the Parish of the Northern Plain have a Christmas coffee morning in Ramsey Town Hall, open from 10am till 12 noon, with cakes, gifts, cards and raffles. Admission is just £2, including hot and cold drinks and biscuits. Also next Saturday, the Christmas Craft Market will be open from 11am to 4pm in the Chapel and Community Centre in Glen May. Just look out for the bunting and the banners and that's where you'll find homemade produce, handicrafts, knitwear, jewellery and artwork, all by local artists. And there'll be some fun games too. Entry is free and light lunches will be available, including those famous bacon baps along with soup and hot drinks. It's expected that the Government Consultation on Assisted Dying will be released soon. And so, in preparation for this, Churches Alive in Man have organised four presentations that will be led by Dr Graham McCall and Reverend Bill Leishman. The presentations will be identical, but will be repeated in four different places around the island for ease of access. They're open to everyone. They're all taking place this week and they all start at half past seven. On Tuesday the 29th of November, the venue is Peel Methodist Church across the road from the Centenary Centre. On Wednesday the 30th, it'll be Living Hope Church in Port St Mary. On Thursday, December the 1st, the presentation will be in the Bethel in Christian Street in Ramsey. And the final presentation is on Friday the 2nd of December in Broadway Baptist Church on Broadway here in Douglas. And that's all that we have time for now, but I'll be back tonight at 9 o'clock for Sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend, and I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board. My address is judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed, peaceful and joyful Advent and a very good morning.